Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the good news, the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, uh, he, he tells us exactly what he's going to do, and he just gets on and does it, so I suppose I should do the same. Uh, interesting, he starts off the beginning. It's not a million miles away from the way Genesis begins, is it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he's perhaps inviting us to think that here is a new beginning, that God's doing a new thing. He created everything, and here is a new mighty work of God. This is a new beginning. And he tells us right up front in the first verse what the conclusion is. He says it's the good news of Jesus, but he says it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in saying that, he tells us what it takes other people in the gospel quite a long time to discover. So please turn to 8.29, and we'll find there that after eight chapters, Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? So it's taken him eight chapters to get to this. And what does Peter say in answer to that question? You are the Christ. In the, in the uh, other accounts, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But it takes Peter eight eight chapters to get the hang of that and in fact when he gets to chapter 8 he still hasn't quite got the hang of it and it is the 15th chapter when somebody else gets the hang of who Jesus is and this time he does get the hang of it because this is the cross and this is in Mark chapter 15 verse 39 and the, temple of the, cur- uh, the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And there's a centurion, a centurion, a Roman soldier, standing there at the cross. He hears the cry of Jesus and saw how he died. And he says, surely this man was How does it finish? Surely this man was the Son of God. And really that's the high watermark of Mark's gospel. That's the the highest expression of recognition of who Jesus is. So it's going to take 15 chapters to get to that point. But Mark is a very quick person. Uh, he says, uh, well, I'm going to tell you straight away, this is, this is the conclusion. I'll, you know, it's like turning to the back of the book and giving you the answers in a crossword puzzle. Uh, this is it. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, now let's wind it back. And in the, in the next uh, section, he talks about something about the, the prophetic introduction, because he's going to say it's written in Isaiah the prophet. And then he's going to introduce us to John the Baptist, who was a very uh, a big figure. Uh, he was somebody that, that made a real mark on the nation. 
and he's going to tell us about John and in the section that we, we're at it doesn't actually introduce us to Jesus apart from second hand uh, so that's, that's all we're going to look at uh, this evening and I hope I can do it reasonably well without confusing us too much Now, how does he set about doing this? Well, it's interesting that the first thing he does, he doesn't tell us you know, how tall Jesus was. He doesn't actually tell us about Jesus' birth. He doesn't tell us about Jesus, where Jesus was born or anything like that. He says, oh, let me first tell you about the, what you Christians would call the Old Testament. It's written in Isaiah the prophet. So this is, you obviously think this is important. It's written in Isaiah the prophet, quote, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So he wants us to understand that. And he says that's... uh, that will help you to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will help you to understand who Jesus is. So let's follow his lead and see where he's going. So have one finger in Mark. Don't forget that it was Mark quoting this. And turn, if you would, to Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5 and around there. Isaiah 40 is a grand and wonderful chapter. It's thinking about the coming exile. So in Isaiah, he says to the people of Israel back in, back in the day, he says, if you don't follow the Lord, if you don't put your trust in him, if you don't obey him, you can't be with him. And the terms and conditions have always been that if my people don't trust me and don't obey me, they can't live with me and I'll kick them out and I'll send them into exile. And in the previous chapter, Isaiah 39, the people who in the end would take the people of Israel into exile, the Babylonians have just entered the scene. And so we now look forward to not just to the not to the exile when they get kicked out but how God will bring them back again and Isaiah 40 is a wonderful chapter of restoration comfort comfort my people says your God speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Sometimes that word double is like when you double over a piece of paper and you get two matching sides. So it might be that she's received from the Lord, from the Lord's hand, the match for all her sins. Now, how, so what happens next? He says, listen, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. 
The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. And that's that's the the bit that's the that's where Mark is quoting from. And that's the situation that he's inviting us to connect with. So I want to ask you one question. If you look at the quote in Mark and the bit in Isaiah, do you notice anything? The voice of one calling, that's there in Mark chapter 1 verse 3, a voice of one calling in the desert, and it's there in Isaiah 40, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. So that is definitely correspond to one another. Mark says, prepare your way. Ah, okay. Isaiah says, prepare the way before the Lord. Okay, thank you very much. Prepare, which way? So what, what, uh, so what does Mark say? Ah, right. Well, that's, that, that was what I was thinking, because there's a whole other sentence in there which isn't in Isaiah. That's right, isn't it? So the bit, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, that's not in Isaiah at all. That's in Malachi. So if you've got a, a, a spare finger, you need to put that in Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And don't be alarmed by Mark telling you he's quoting from Isaiah but bringing in a bit of Malachi because they often do that. They often bring two or three things together and don't necessarily tell you. So I'm mainly focusing on Isaiah, but Malachi has something to say in the same vein. And in Malachi chapter 3, that's where it comes from. So I'll go back a little bit in Malachi. You have wearied the Lord with your words. So this is the, the people of God again back uh, in the day how have we wearied him you ask by saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he's pleased with them and where is the God of justice see I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner (coughs) and purifier of silver. He will take He will purify the the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who can bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So that's what Malachi is talking about. Somebody's going to come and uh, they're going to sort things out. Well, we'll come back to that in a moment. So let's see if we can... First of all, think of exactly what Isaiah is telling us. So I've done a little picture of it. And that's it. So here's the person calling out, 
prepare the way for uh, prepare the way and it says yeah prepare the way verse 3 make straight a highway so what I've got here is he's, he's, he's been moving in this direction and that's where the highway used to go but this guy has had his spade and shovel out and he's made a straight highway and presumably he's knocked down some mountains and rugged places as well so there's a nice straight highway and this uh, person is saying there's some mountains and there's some deviations in the road straighten it up knock it down flatten it make a highway because somebody else is coming along after me and who's coming along after the messenger okay king of kings the lord Uh, one other particular reference the lord so that's god's name yahweh and also it says a highway for our god so that, that's, the, that's the picture, you see. And Mark is saying, that's what I'm referring to. Have that picture right in your minds. Uh, the situation was that the people had been carried away, far away. God's glory had departed. That's the bad news. They're in exile. But someone's coming to sort them out, perhaps to bring them home. And... Somebody goes ahead and says, he's coming, get ready, sort it out, because the Lord God is the next person you'll see. It's rather like the Tour de France, where, which takes place in Yorkshire at the moment, doesn't it? They, once the Tour de France came along through here uh, and went, went down Ditchling Road, and ahead of the Tour de France was all sorts of cars saying, mind out, here it comes. Beep, 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 like that. And you all had to start, what's going to happen? And then we waited for the Tour de France, and that was it. But this is it. Get ready, prepare the way, something's coming. And in this text, it says, the Lord is coming. The Lord God is coming. And he's coming to sort out the bad news and uh, bring the good news. Uh, and we could extend that uh, thought in uh, that the Lord comes to the exiles and takes them home again. So we've got texts like Isaiah 49. So Isaiah 49, for example, from verse 8, this is what the Lord says, In the time of my favor I will answer you. In the day of salvation I will help you. I will keep you and make you a covenant for the people to restore the land, to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives who presumably in the Babylonian prison come out and those in darkness be free. And they will feed beside the roads. They'll find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst nor will the desert heat or sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads. All my highways will be raised up. They come from afar, from the north, the west. 
Shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains. The Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. And the, the Lord, Zion says, the Lord's forgotten me. The Lord has forsaken me. And God says, I certainly haven't. Verse 17, your sons will hasten back and those who laid you waste, laid you waste depart from you. Look. Look around, your sons gather and come to you. So the, the idea of God presumably going and getting them and then bringing them back. And that's the, the, the thought in Isaiah 49, and I think it links with the thought in Isaiah 35. In the thought of Isaiah 35, again, it's about the, the desert... And the parched land will be glad, and the glory of the Lord. And in verse 3, it says, Strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come and save you. And then all sorts of wonderful things will happen. The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame leap like a deer, the mute tongue shout for joy, water will gush forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, verse 8, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. And so it says, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return, and will enter Zion with singing, and everlasting joy will crown their heads Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So I hope I'm not trying to com connect together too many things that aren't supposed to be connected, but I think that's meant to be connected. The idea that God will go to his people, and he'll bring them home. They'll be brought back home to God. And in Isaiah, they're saying, that would be brilliant. That would be good news to hear that that's done. And we think of Mark as he says, quoting that, I will send my messenger, I will send someone calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And he says, that's exactly how you should think of John the Baptist. That's exactly how you should think of John the Baptist. And if he's the preparer of the way, who are we expecting to come next? The Lord. Because he prepares the way for the Lord. And the fascinating thing is that as we look to see who comes next, we have to wait till verse 9. And he says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And you think, wow, that's very interesting. So we were expecting God to turn up. We were expecting the Lord to come along. And Mark says, and who, who comes next? Jesus. And it's, it's a fascinating thought, isn't it? Who, who, who is Jesus then? Well, can it be? 
that he is the Lord, that he is the God who turns up to redeem his people. That seems to be the implication of the way John tells it to us. Right, this is the point at which I wish that I had numbered my sheets. It's a little, little bit ragged, I'm afraid. Um, let's look at the, the Malachi. Uh, let's look at the, the Malachi background. So Malachi tells us, verse 3, See, I will prepare my, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way. So it is linked. And who comes after the messenger? While you're thinking about that, I'll just see whether I have a pen. So in in Malachi 3, the messenger comes, and who comes after the messenger? Uh, Okay, well, yes, uh, it it does say the messenger of the covenant, but it also gives him another title as well. The Lord you are seeking. And he does say, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. So again, we might be thinking that there's the messenger and then behind him, secondly, comes the Lord. Now he doesn't say Yahweh the Lord, but he does say the Master the Lord. And again, we're we're thinking, hmm, what's this telling us about Jesus? And in Malachi, the idea is that the... This, uh, the Lord comes to his temple the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come says the Lord Almighty but this time there's a slightly different vibe to it because he says this is going to be really uh, something quite stressful but who can endure the day of his coming who can stand when he appears because he's got some really tough work to do And it says that he will refine, he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. There's going to be something really vigorous and deep acting about what he does. So I have very little experience of a refiner's fire nor of a launderer's soap, but I think the idea of something being really deep acting sounds about right. So a fire to refine stuff has to be quite a hot fire. You know, it's not just like bung it in the microwave for 20 seconds. It's a really a hot fire. And the launderer's soap, so I'm sure soap technology has come on a huge amount since those days, but to get, uh, to get stains out of stained clothing is really uh, a vigorous thing. I can remember when I went to Sri Lanka and I thought, I've just got a little smudge on my jeans and I was just sort of sponging it down and one of the guys said no no you don't do it like that took the jeans off me and plunged it into water and got uh, some uh, what, what's the soap that we used to have in those big big yellow blocks was it f- f- carbolic fairy sunlight. sunlight yes it was that sort of stuff the stuff that you see only in museums of, 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 the, of the home as it used to be 
uh, and he got some of that. He's going like this, and then like that, and plunging it into and gosh, it was like a workout. And then he takes it in and plunges it again. I thought, I'm only trying to get a little smudge off. Anyway, he does that, and this, there you are, rings it out and. Uh, it was really hard work that he did on those jeans. And this one who's coming is going to be somebody who does deep, deep work on people. And it says he will purify, verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness... And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So what this, uh, this invites us to think of somebody coming who does a powerful work of refining and ends up, instead of with a stained and um, mixed and corrupted people, with a pure people and a washed people and a people able to approach the Lord uh, in his holiness. So it's quite something, isn't it, these prophecies. And he says, well, what is this good news? The good news... Getting all in a muddle here. The good news... Well, it looks as though it's about travel moving from one place to another but I think really in the fulfillment of it it's about the substance that the good news is that God's people have his presence and are blessed in restoration and in the way the prophecy is presented you think it might be to do with military stuff and geography and the defeat of the Babylonians but I think Mark would have us think actually what Isaiah was getting at was far deeper than that it's actually restoring relationship with God so that there are a people who trust him and obey him because that was why the exile happened in the first place because the people didn't have the heart to trust God and obey God that's why he he expelled them and Jesus is coming to deal with the heart of the matter to bring the presence of God and the blessing of God and bring back a relationship with God. And that's why Mark can start us off here and say, uh, this is how I'd like you to think of it. God's people are in a complete mess and muddle, and God has always been promising he'll come and sort them out. Like Malachi, the Lord will come, and he'll radically change his people so they can worship him. And Isaiah is saying that the Lord will come and, and bring his people home and he'll come to rescue them. And in each case, somebody goes ahead to say the Lord is coming to do that. So have that in your mind. And John says, and I'm going to tell you in a moment about Jesus. But before he tells us about Jesus, he tells us about John the Baptist. So if we may, let's just have a little, little think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist straddles the dividing line between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
So uh, there's the dividing line of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So he's partly got a foot in the Old Testament and he's partly got a foot in the New Testament. And it's said of him, John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This This is the preparing, isn't it? Prepare the way, get ready for God. And the people are scared by this. God's coming. Let's try and get ourselves sorted out. Let's try and get ourselves right for the coming of the Lord. And he uh, gives them a baptism. And of course, a baptism is a very funny thing to give to Jews. I mean, there are baptisms in, in the Old Testament. There's washings and things. But the people who were usually baptized in those days were Gentiles who wanted to become Jews. So it's, it's almost saying to, the, to the, uh, these people, you know, you're not Jews, really. You need, you know, even as you sit there, you, you need to be changed to be what the people of God ought to be. So get your act together. And he says, you need to turn, you need to change. And he preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So there are the people being baptized with, uh, in the River Jordan. And he, his clothing reminds us of his Old Testament roots. Uh, he, it says that he, he wears clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Would Catherine have been able to eat locusts and wild honey? Not the honey. I think the locusts she would have been all right with, wouldn't she? Yeah, because she could eat meat. So... But wearing a leather belt and camel's head, does this remind us of anybody? Elijah. Elijah, yeah. So he's a sort of Old Testament Elijah figure. And he's, uh, yeah, that's him. So he's baptizing people, getting ready for the coming. And he says, and somebody is coming after me. Somebody is coming after me. And whereas I baptize with water, this one is far greater than I am. And I've omitted to put the word greater in there, so I'll put greater. He's far greater than I am. In fact, I'm not worth, worthy to undo his shoelaces. And he will, I baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've I've dipped you in water or poured out water on you or a mixture of both and this one will dip you in the Holy Spirit or pour out the Holy Spirit on you or whichever way you want to think of it Um, that's what I can do that's what he's going to do and it's a huge statement about Jesus isn't it I make you wet on the outside and tell you to sort yourself out he immerses you in God he fills you with God. He covers you with God. He dips you into God. Uh, and I've got out of step here, but it, it's the one who does this, I think, is the Lord, isn't it? Who could fill us with God? Who could immerse us in God? Who could um, plunge our souls into God? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we've got two situations here, and with this we'll, we'll finish. There's John. He has a baptism which is pre-Messiah. He's saying, getting ready for the Messiah. 
and it's pre-Trinitarian. In other words, it's not, it doesn't know, it, it's not to do with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's to do with getting ready for the one who's coming. It's a, a baptism of turning to, well, really turning back to what they should have been from Moses, isn't it? It's getting yourself Jewish again, because in a sense they're hardly even behaving like Jews should behave, like the pe- people of Israel. Getting back to that and preparing for, well, preparing for the coming one. Whereas Jesus, as we cross the boundary to what Jesus does, uh, he is now bringing us into, well, it's a baptism by the Messiah, and it's a Trinitarian baptism, isn't it? He's, he's baptizing in the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's uh, the Son of God. And the turning that the Lord Jesus will bring is not turning to what the Old Testament always said, but turning to the one who can do what the Old Testament never could quite manage and looked forward to. It's turning to himself. And whereas the Old Testament one is saying, prepare for the coming one, so it's a sort of hope thing, what Jesus brings is not hoping for someone yet to come, but arriving. If we have Jesus, we've actually arrived at faith. And so let's simply say that we've, we've, we haven't even heard Jesus himself speak, but we're set up for really quite an interesting encounter. Who's the person coming along? Well, who is he? Uh, t- by implication, he's the Lord God. What's that going to look like? And according to, the, according to John, he is worthy and he is um, far greater than John the Baptist. And John could make people wet on the outside, but this person can plunge people into with the Holy Spirit. That's a breathtaking thing to say. And who comes along? Jesus comes along. We look forward to hearing a bit more about him when we go further into, into Mark's Gospel. Let's close by singing number 814.